0: today's sermon is the Word of God, summarized and confessed by the Church in Lord's Day 3. During the sermon, we will also read Belgian Confession, Article 14, and the Canons of Dort 3, 4, Articles 1, 2, and 3. We'll start now with Lord's Day 3. Page 519, the Book of Praise. Question and answer 6. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No, on the contrary, God created man good and in his image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he may rightly know God his creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness, to praise and glorify him. From where, then, did man's depraved nature come from? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. Question answer eight. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Following the reading of the sermon, let us stand and sing Psalm 39, verses 4, 5, and 6. Oh. The sermon was prepared by Reverend Jansen, Willoughby Heights, in British Columbia. Dear children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, guests, our God and Saviour, in whom is all our hope, in whom we trust, has made clear to us through his word that we are inclined by nature to self centeredness We love ourselves ahead of others. We love ourselves even ahead of God. We are self-centered ego-trippers. By nature, we might ignore God and avoid others. Or, by nature, we might use others, including God, to serve our, our, our ends. Now we, who are gathered here this afternoon, might be thus by nature, but we're not like that in reality. We belong to Jesus Christ, and so, in the power of God's Spirit, We fight self-centeredness, as we heard this morning. We've heard God's analysis of our situation. Our problem is selfish pride, and we have confessed it very personally. I, note that I, I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. It raises the question, how come? Why am I this way? I realize question... Six and seven become less personal, speaking of man rather than you. It's almost as if the authors of the Catechism weren't sure they could be this personal. But we do need to be. I belong to Christ. I am, by nature, inclined to hate God and my neighbor. Of course, it makes me ask, how come I am this way? However, it's not just me wondering about the origins of my evil nature that raises the question. If it was, we would ask if God made us thus. No, the opening chapter of the law of the Torah, of God's word, deals with this matter. Where did we come from? How did God make us? It's important for us to understand our origins so that we understand ourselves. And the phrasing of question six, it reflects the the truth of Genesis three. We hear Adam blame God the woman you gave me. Did God create man so wicked and perverse? Yes, that is exactly the kind of question my nature inclines me to ask. Clearly, there is more we need to learn in order to understand how great our sins and misery are. Last week, we learned how lost our condition is. Today, we learn how great our corruption is. We will learn how we ourselves bear 100% responsibility for being the way we are. And we'll also begin to learn how we are totally unable to change ourselves. Only God's Holy Spirit can do it. We listen to God's instruction on the nature of our corruption with this theme. It is our own fault. We are what we by nature are. We'll pay attention to three things. One, creation. God made us good. Two, crash. We made ourselves evil. And three, corruption. Without God, we are goners. Creation. God made us good. To those who are gods, question six is an offensive question. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? We should be glad this question offends us. It shows we care about God, and the thought of blaming God, who is only good for our evil nature, just doesn't make any sense. If the question offends us, it also shows that we have carefully listened to God's Word. Because we know the answer right off the bat, even the youngest of children will know the answer to the question, did God make us good or bad, right boys and girls, did God Make us good or bad? Of course, God made us good. And just in case you do wonder, we read in Genesis 1.31, after the creation of all things, also humans, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Boys and girls, God made us good, not bad. No, it doesn't mean now that we can go to point two of the sermon. We need to confront ourselves with what very good means. We need to understand, to the extent that we are able, with what nature God created us. It tells us how good and great God is. It will tell us how evil and perverse we humans now are. It will show us the greatness of our sin and misery. God created us good. Good has the flavor of suited for its purpose. Something is good when it answers to its reason for existence. A good school is a school that educates children well. A good car is one that gets you comfortably and safely from A to B. Good boots are ones that keep your feet warm and dry in rain and snow. When something is good, it can do what it's supposed to do. That's what good means in Genesis 1. Of all creation, everything God saw was good, indeed, was very good. Humans were good, were very good. We can do the job we were supposed to do. That begs the question, what did God create us to do? God tells us in Genesis 1 that humans were special creatures. Man was created in the image of God. Animals were created after their own kind. But humans were created in the image of God. We should also note that when God created man, He spoke of himself in the plural. "Let us make man in our image after our likeness." He also tells them He also tells of creating man as a plural. In the image of God He created him. Male and female, he created them. Given the parallels in the text, male and female are what makes man. There is a plurality within God, there is also a plurality within man. The plurality within man is stated to be that of male and female. The plurality within God is not explained here, but over time God makes clear that this plurality is the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Article 9 of the Belgian Confession. To recap, we were created good. To be good is to be able to do what you were supposed to do. What did God create us to do? God created us to be his image. When created, we were able to be God's image. That begs the question, what does being God's image mean? That's a tough question. It's been long debated. Our catechism marks a certain stage in that debate. What we find described in answer 6 is known as the ethical image of God. We were created in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is understood to refer to our outward actions, the things we do. Holiness is understood to refer to our inner drives, that which makes us do things. We were righteous in our actions. We did not sin. We were holy in our being. There was no evil nature inside of us. God created us capable of doing good and free in choosing to do good. However, further study and reflection is made clear there is more to God's image than just being righteous and holy. Some will point to Genesis 1, 26, and then verse 28 and 30. God created man in his image to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. There's what we find in Genesis 2, the mandate to care for the garden, the task to name all the animals. There's Psalm 8, where man is described as being a little lower than God and ruling over all creation. You'll see Psalm 8 among the proof texts for answer 6. That was actually added during the second half of the 20th century, hundreds of years after the Catechism was written. We'll speak here of humans being vice-regents, rulers of creation, on behalf of God. We are images of God in our office, we are kings, but also priests and prophets. Answer 6 might even hint at this. As prophets, we know God. As priests, we love God. And as kings, we live for God. There's certainly something to be said for this approach, especially as it is grounded in Genesis 1:26, Genesis 2, and Psalm 8. Another perspective on being God's image focuses on what verse 27 tells us. God created man, male and female, in his image. It is noted that the creation account, that's Genesis 1 and 2, ends with a wedding. It ends with male and female being one flesh, being naked but feeling no shame. The creation account tells us of a unity and plurality. The one God who creates is us. And regarding the man he creates, he says, it is not good, not good, for the man to be alone. For man to function as God's image, he should not be one, but two. And so we have the woman come from the man. We have the one human be male and female. How exactly this all went is, we should not go beyond what God has revealed to us. The Trinity is beyond our understanding. The origins of humankind are beyond our understanding too. We should simply receive and acknowledge what God has told us. Adam was formed first and then Eve. 1 Timothy 2, verse 13. Man was formed from the dust of the earth and the woman was formed from the side of man. We learn this from what we have been told. As the two-in-one man is God's image and thus there is a relational aspect to being in God's image. We We humans are to be God's image in how we relate to each other. For in how we relate to each other, we reflect how the persons within God relate to one another. How do the persons within God relate to one another? How do the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit relate to one another? In perfect love and loyalty. Loyalty is God's name. He is Yahweh. I am who I am. Love is God's being. God is love. That love, that loyalty, that's what God's law is about. That's what our lives are to be about. We are not to be self-centered, but other-centered. Love God above all ourselves. Love our neighbor as ourselves. Reflecting on that, we can see why God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. How is a single individual human supposed to be completely other-centered if the only other beings, animals, are different from himself? If there is just one single human person, that human would be self-centered. The creation of a second human would give, us, would give humans the choice of being self-centered or other-centered. The Creation of a second, oops, the existence of humans as male and female makes it possible for humans to reflect the way in which the persons within the Trinity relate to one another. We were created good. We could be the image of God. We were righteous and holy. We could come to know God by being busy in creation, also through interaction with other humans. We could heartily love God for all his goodness displayed in creation. And together with God, we could live forever, ruling over creation in God's name. Yes, it certainly wasn't God who gave us our sinful, hateful natures. When God made us, all was good. Very good. As we move from this point of the sermon to the next, let's turn to the Belgian Confession, to Article 14. There we find the same confessed by the Church. We'll read the first two paragraphs here. We believe that God created man of dust from the ground And he made and formed him after his own image and likeness, good, righteous, and holy. His will could conform to the will of God in every respect. But when man was in this high position, he did not appreciate it, nor did he value his excellency. He gave ear to the words of the devil and willfully subjected himself to sin and consequently to death and the curse. For he transgressed the commandment of life which he had received. By his sin, he broke away from God, who was his true life. He corrupted his whole nature. By all this, he made himself liable to physical and spiritual death. Since man became wicked and perverse, corrupt in all his ways, he lost all of his excellent gifts, which he had once received from God. He has nothing left but some small traces, which are sufficient to make man inexcusable. For whatever light is in us... Has changed to darkness. As Scripture teaches, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1, verse 5, where the Apostle John calls mankind darkness. We move now from creation to crash. We now consider the truth that we made ourselves evil. Again, the question the Catechism asks is logical. If God didn't make us bad, how come we are bad, evil, wicked, and perverse? How did our nature become such that we are inclined to hate God and our neighbor? Why is it that people tend to put themselves first rather than God? We know the answer to this one too. We did it to ourselves. We were created in God's image, and God gave us the ability to choose. The ability to choose between being God's image and not being God's image. And man chose to do his own thing rather than God's. It all happened way back in the beginning of time when there were just two people on the face of this planet. We've read God's account of how it happened. God's account. God tells us how it happened. He tells it as history. And elsewhere in scripture, it is assumed to be historical. Romans 5 is a key passage here. In Adam all sinned. Or 1 Timothy 2 verse 12. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Or the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. The dragon is described as that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan. Revelations 20 verse 2. Man was good and man became evil. It happened on a certain day in a certain month of a certain year. Our attention is drawn to this event because of the question, where did our depraved nature come from? We will focus on the question a little more. Who was responsible for the corruption of our nature? The catechism points the finger squarely at ourselves. Man did it. Humans did it. Adam, Eve, both. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 2 notes that Eve was the one deceived by the serpent. That's indeed how we read it in Genesis 3. But was Adam totally out of the picture? Did Eve go to the tree, look at the fruit, pick it, eat it, and then go looking for Adam and give him to eat? No. In Genesis 3, 6, we read, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate, who was with her. Don't miss that phrase, Adam was with Eve when she picked the fruit, when she took that bite. When Eve passed some of it to Adam, he took it. He took a bite as well. Yes, Eve was deceived by the serpent, but the act of disobedience to God's command was committed by the male and female together. When we read on, we see how God first calls Adam to account. Why Adam? Because he was formed first which we understand to imply that he has primary responsibility. Eve was to be a help for Adam. Eve was created to complement Adam. They were both humans. They were God's image. But they each had different roles. So God calls Adam to account. And look, Adam shifts the blame. It's not his fault. It's his neighbor's. It's the woman's fault. Indeed, it's kind of God's fault, for he gave her to Adam. Talk about being self-centered. And the woman is no better. She too passes the buck. Love and loyalty. That's what man was created to embody. Self-centeredness is what it became. We see it in how man reacts to God following the sin. We see it also in how they relate to each other. Before sinning, there had been nakedness, but no sense of shame. There was no shame, for there was no self-centered lust. That changed the moment they sinned. That most precious institution of God, marriage, the highest expression of love and loyalty between humans, had been tarnished and destroyed. Adam loved Adam and hated Eve. That's why Eve needed clothes. And Eve loved Eve and hated Adam. That's why Adam needed clothes. And Adam and Eve loved themselves and hated God. That's why they fled from God instead of to god when they heard him in the garden self-centeredness we fell into sin we plunged ourselves into sin we crashed down into sin we did it to ourselves what about the devil yes he's in the picture and he yes he is to blame too but the fact that he carries blame does not relieve us of our personal responsibility or diminish it then we might as well blame the tree for growing the fruit No, man was to rule over all creation. Instead, man allowed himself to be misled by an inferior creature. Remember, the devil presented himself to man as a snake. Eve should have admonished the snake, not listened to it. Man had the ability to resist the temptation, but did not. Some ask, what about God? Given that nothing ever happens without God allowing it to happen, did God not decree the fall into sin? We need to be careful here, for we'll never fathom the mystery of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. But we do know this. Like God, man had the ability to act freely. Man's will prior to the fall in sin was free. To quote the Canons of Dort, chapter 3, 4, article 16, by his free will man when he was still standing plunged himself into ruin god is not the author of sin in the sense that he bears responsibility for it one final question where do i as a person of the 21st century fit in adam and eve sinned i wasn't even there why does man's first act of disobedience have consequences for me there's no simple answer to that question either. I am part of it all. That's clear. Romans 5 verse 12 says that the sin of the one man has seen all men sin. Psalm 51 relates it as a reality. We are conceived and born in sinfulness. But how the connection is to be made, we truly don't know. Some figure it's because Adam was our representative in paradise, just as Canada is represented by the Prime Minister at a state funeral or by a sports person at the Olympics. Others figure there's a blood connection. We are all direct descendants from Adam. It's the approach articulated by the catechism when it speaks of our first parents. There's something to be said for both these approaches, but there are issues with both too. Theologians still break their heads over this one, and so we leave it alone. One thing is clear. That first sin caused all of us to be born with a sinful nature. When Adam and Eve picked the fruit and sank their teeth into it, self-centeredness had become their very nature and the nature of everyone who subsequently was born of the will of man. And in case you're wondering, because Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, he is the only human without a sinful nature. See Lord's Day 14. We made ourselves evil. As we bridge from this point to the next, let's open the confessions of the church again, this time turning to the canons of Dort. Chapter 3-4, Articles 1-3. Find this on page 575. The Book of Praise. In the beginning, man was created in the image of God. He was adorned in his mind with true and wholesome knowledge of his Creator and of all spiritual things. His will and heart were upright, all his affections pure... And therefore man was completely holy. But rebelling against God through the instigation of the devil and through his own free will, he deprived himself of these excellent gifts and instead brought upon himself blindness, horrible darkness, futility, and perverseness of judgment in his mind, wickedness, rebelliousness, and stubbornness in his will and heart, and impurity in all his affections. Since after the fall, man became corrupt, he, as a corrupt father, brought forth corrupt children. Thus, the corruption is spread from Adam to all his descendants, with the exception of Christ alone, not by imitation, as the Pelagians of old maintained, but by the propagation of a perverted nature, according to the righteous judgment of God. Therefore, all men are conceived in sin and born as children of wrath, incapable of any saving good, and inclined to all evil, Dead in sins and slaves of sin, and without the grace of the regenerating Holy Spirit, they neither will nor can return to God, reform their depraved nature, or prepare themselves for its reformation. With question and answer eight, we, sorry, with the last line of Article three, we come to our third point corruption without God, we are goners. With question and answer 8, we have the simple answer to the question, how great is our sin and misery? Our sin and misery is so great that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil. That doesn't just relate to our activity, our loss of righteousness. It includes our being, our loss of holiness. But it goes even further. It extends all the way to our wills. It is here, though be it very implicitly, that we find the Catechism's confession on that thorny and difficult issue of the free will. It is here that Arsenius, in his commentary on the Catechism, he himself authored adds a 14-page excursus on the question of man's will. In what sense is it free and in what sense is it not? Realize that this is not about the freedom of choice, Man is still being presented by God with the option of choosing to do good or evil. Man continues to be free to choose, but the problem for man is that he's lost the ability to choose freely. Question and answer eight are about what you're capable of doing. Many who profess to follow Christ acknowledge that they don't do good, but they still figure they are able to do good. It's just a matter of putting your mind to it. Wanting to do good. It's what Pelagius taught. It's what the Roman Catholic Church continues to teach. It's what Arminian evangelicals teach. There are differences between those three, but in one way or another, each claims there is within humans some ability to do at least some good. But God's Word teaches something else. Scripture teaches man's total inability. Scripture teaches man's total corruption. We are totally unable to do any good. We are pointed to Genesis 6 verse 5 where we read, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The extent of our corruption is also proven by what it takes to restore us to to the ability to do good. It takes a new start to life. It takes regeneration. It takes a change that's like being born all over again. It's like a dead person coming to life again. It takes God himself to change us. Only the Holy Spirit can make it happen. We are so corrupt, so dead in our sins, so unable to do good, to to desire good, to will good, that it takes God to give us that ability to do good, we need God. That's how corrupt we are. Let's turn again to Article 14 of the Belgian Confession and read its last paragraph. We find there are many references to the Bible on the topic of man's incapability of doing what is truly good. Article 14, Therefore we reject all teaching contrary to this concerning the free will of man. Since man is a slave to sin, John 8, verse 34. And a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven, John 3, verse 27. For who dares to boast that he of himself can do any good except when Christ says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, John 6:44). Who will glory in his own will when he understands that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, Romans 8, verse 7? Who can speak of his knowledge since the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14? In short, who dares to claim anything when he realizes that we are not sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God? 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5. Therefore, what the Apostle says must justly remain sure and firm. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians 2, verse 13. For there is no understanding, nor will conformable to the understanding and will of God, unless Christ has brought it about. As he teaches us, apart from me you can do nothing. John 15, 5. It is our own fault we are, by nature, what we are. God created us good. We crashed ourselves into evil, a crash so violent that our corruption is total. If left to our own devices, all we would do is be self-centered. The only way, the only way we can become capable of doing good is if the Holy Spirit causes us to begin a new life. Sounds pretty dismal. Where's the comfort in all this? God did not make us evil. God made us good. It is God's desire that we be good. This tells us that we are not at the mercy of some stronger person than ourselves who might have bad intentions with us. God had his way, all would be good. We plunged ourselves into corruption to the point of being unable to do any good. We can't save ourselves. We should not be discouraged by the fact that when we try to save ourselves, we fail. For the reality is, no one can save themselves. We're fallen humans. God can save us. Our Creator can recreate us. The Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life in creation and in regeneration. Where we are unable, God is able. And... As we are those who confess to belong to Christ, we know God is not only able, he has done it. For I have already confessed that the Holy Spirit makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. God can change us, and he does. Amen.